You may have a seat. Good morning, Christ Point. It's good to see you this morning. We are uh, in the midst of the Advent season. This is the third week of Advent. You uh, may remember the first week we talked about hope. And uh, Chris Cody read a passage and uh, lit the, uh, the candle of hope. Uh, the second week, uh, we talked about snow and ice, and we lit the can- well, we didn't light a candle last week. Uh, we were in our homes, we were staying warm, we were drinking hot cocoa and chocolate. Uh, if we were here, though, we would have talked about the prophecy candle, how uh, for thousands and really hundreds of years, even before Jesus came onto the scene, people uh, were looking forward to uh, his coming. And so uh, uh, churches around the world lit the uh, prophecy candle. And uh, this week we are going to talk about the joy that we have uh, because of Christ. And so we've asked Mia Bain uh, to come this morning and read from us uh, a passage that uh, speaks to the joy that we find in Christ. And so I'm going to ask Mia uh, if she would to come forward and I will light uh, the candle of joy. Hey Mia, come this way. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Luke 1, 26 through 33. Great job. Thanks, Mia. This morning we get to experience the joy that we have because Christ came and lived among us. Uh, And so would you pray with me and we'll commit our time uh, to the Lord. God, thank you so much for the gift of your son some 2,000 years ago to this earth to walk among us. Thank you for the hope that he has given uh, to us. Thank you, Lord, that in your uh, sovereignty you, you predicted this event long before it ever came to be. Lord, what assurance we have as we read in your word that, uh, that this event would take place and it happened as you said it would. And Lord, we give you thanks for the joy now that we get to experience as your people because of Christ. Uh, God, we love you. We commit our time to you this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name uh, and by your spirit. Amen. Uh, Well, our Advent series this year has been titled Gifts from God. And so as a church family, we're thinking together about uh, the gifts that God has given to us, uh, his children. And we kicked off our series two weeks ago. And so we're going to continue our series uh, this morning and think together about the gifts that we find in Romans chapter 8. And so if you have your Bibles, please uh, turn with me there to Romans uh, chapter 8. I was thinking the other day there are two kinds of gifts that oftentimes we uh, receive. There are gifts that we want and there are gifts that we need. Uh, When we are younger, typically we focus on the gifts that we want, right? When you write your Christmas list when you're younger, you want games, right? You want toys, uh, you want video games, 
and you want toys. That's pretty much all you want when you're a kid. You think about all of the things that you want, but as you get older, you start thinking about things that are a little more practical, things that you need. Uh, The other week, I was driving Cademan, my oldest son, and his buddies to soccer practice, and uh, they were talking about the fact that uh, this one one young man had, (laughs) was sharing. Uh, I love the conversations, by the way, that you hear in a car uh, when you have kids back there and you can ask them questions about their parents. It's really fun what you hear. Um, I I was talking to him about Christmas and all this stuff. He's like, yeah. He's like, last year, he goes, my parents gave me like a winter jacket. That's lame. And I'm like, it's actually warm. Like, did you need a winter jacket? I'm like, that's a great gift. When you're younger, you think about the gifts uh, that you want. But as you get older, you think oftentimes about the gifts uh, that you need. Well, the God that knows you and loves you and made you uh, oftentimes gives you both. And so this morning, I want us to think together about a gift uh, that we need and a gift that we want from Romans uh, chapter 8, beginning in verse 12. And so if you have uh, your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't, the passage will be on the screen uh, for you. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 12, uh, reads, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, Uh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according uh, to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, uh, you will live. And so Paul begins this little portion in Romans chapter 8 and reminds the church, you don't owe a thing to your flesh. Uh, When Scripture talks about the flesh, it talks about those things that are a part of us that are not pleasing uh, to God. He's saying you don't owe a thing to uh, your flesh. You're not in debt to your own desires. Uh, A year ago, at about this time, I had a knee surgery. I know it happened over a year ago, so I'm not allowed to whine about it anymore, but I still do. It's been over a year, but I have uh, monthly reminders that are given to me uh, that remind me of what took place on December 5th of 2018. Uh, Apparently, the place where I stayed, um, it cost money to go visit there. And, and the, the nice, kind man that operated on my, on my knee, apparently, I owe him money. Like, I owe people money for services that have been rendered. And so every month, uh, I am reminded of the debt that I owe. Well, Paul writes to the church and is saying, you don't owe a debt to your flesh. Like, you're, you're not a, a victim to your desires. You don't have to write a check Uh, every month to to pay uh, for services rendered. And isn't that good news? That that we're not simply victims of our heart's desires. That that we can't operate in such a way where we say, well, there's really nothing I can do about it. You know, the heart wants what it wants. No, Paul's saying you're not in debt uh, to the flesh to live according to the flesh. And then he says something in verse 13 that should stop us in our tracks. He says, if you live according to the flesh, uh, you will die. Right? If you live according to the flesh, you will die. Uh, he's not talking about the fact that all of us will die. He's not talking about death in general. He's, he's arguing here, I believe, that, um, that if you live according to the flesh passively, or if you make uh, peace with your flesh, then you will spend an eternity apart from God. 
And I think what Paul is saying is that, uh, that Christians interact with their sin in such a way where uh, we, we don't make peace with it. We don't look at our lives and say, I know that isn't pleasing to God, but it's not that big a deal. Uh, we don't examine our own hearts and think to ourselves, well, I, I know that I shouldn't think this, or I know I shouldn't do that, or I know that I shouldn't act that way, but you know what? Small potatoes, it's not a big deal. Paul is making an argument that if you are a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, then, then Christians uh, fight against their sin. He's not saying that we're sinless. We're not. We're not. <laughs> we're not. And he said in Romans chapter 7, Paul did, that the very things that we should do, we don't do. The things that we don't want to do, we do. And so he's talking about the struggle that you and I experience in the Christian life. Um, John says in 1 John, if, if you claim to be without sin, you're a liar. Right? And so he's not saying that Christians don't sin. He's saying how we uh, relate to our sin uh, is such where sin is an enemy. Right? And so we, we fight our sin. If you live according to the flesh, uh, you will die. Christians uh, fight uh, sin. The Christian life is a struggle. It's a fight. Right? It, it's, not a, it's not just a, a coast. Right? It's, it's a fight. Do you know that? When I was in high school, my buddies came over to my house, and we went downstairs, and we were bored. We really didn't have much to do, and uh, so my friends were looking around at some of the things downstairs, and they came across a gift that had been given to me and my brother by my uncle many years previous. They were uh, boxing gloves, and so whenever you have an older or younger brother and you have an uncle without any children, um, he gives gifts uh, to you that you probably shouldn't have. And so my brother and I had boxing gloves. And so when there was a disagreement uh, between us, we didn't necessarily sit at the table for peace talks. My, my uncle thought, hey, it would be a good idea for you just to kind of box it out. Uh, we didn't typically do that. That wasn't normative in our house, thankfully. But this one particular occasion, my buddy Greg was over. And he's like, hey, James, do you want a box? And, and he was kind of my size. He was my weight class. And so I thought, sure, you know, what kind of box? He's a friend. You know, it'll be fun. And so we put on uh, the boxing gloves, and I start dancing around a little bit. And I'm just like bob and weave, bob and weave. And Greg is kind of doing the same. And I'm looking at Greg, and he's looking at me. And then Greg goes like this, and then he throws a left, and he catches me on the chin. And I go, he hit me. Like, he really hit me, and it hurt. I was, I, he wobbled me a little bit, and I'm like, oh, we're fighting. Like, we're fighting. I didn't even realize it. I thought we were just playing, but we're fighting. You know, I think the Christian life is a lot like that. Like, all of a sudden, you're going around, and you're thinking, you're just bobbing and weaving, and you're going, this is fun, and we're just, we're just playing. And then all of a sudden, when you're not expecting it, boom. Like, you, you get hit. And you, and you realize that there is an, there's an enemy in life that, that does not seek our good. And I think sometimes we operate in such a way where we're just kind of cavalier as we walk through life. We think we're playing. And, and it's pretty clear that this isn't a game. I think the Christian life is, is a fight against our own sin. Like, we wage war against sin. Like, our human heart is a fickle thing. 
I love what author Ed Welch says in his book, A Banquet in the Grave. He said, there is something about war that sharpens the senses. You hear a twig snap or the rustling of leaves and you are in attack mode. Someone coughs and you are ready to pull the trigger. Even after days of little or no sleep, war keeps us vigilant. Are you vigilant with your sin? Like, are you vigilant? Do you wake up in the morning listening for the twig to snap or the rustling of leaves? Do you know your heart enough to wake up and think to yourself, man, I spend a lot of time thinking about myself. And I, I know that I can have a prideful heart. Oh, God, like, humble me. Man, humble me, Lord. I do not want to be swept away by uh, my own pride. You think to yourself some days, I, I know I have a propensity uh, to say or to share too much. I know there are times in life when, when I have loose lips and I say things that I should keep close. I, I know that I have a propensity or a temptation uh, to share stories in such a way that, that cast me in a positive light and someone else in a negative light. I, I know I have the propensity to do that, so God, you got to help me. Because like, I know I'm, I'm prone to gossip. I'm, I'm prone to say more than I should. God, help me. Do you wake up in the morning and think to yourself, I am so tempted to compare my life to the life of someone else. I'm so tempted to look at how I look and, and compare my appearance with her appearance or to compare my bank account with his bank account or to compare my success with their success. Like, I know that. I know my heart enough to know that that's a struggle. So I say, God, you got you to help me. I need to listen for the twig to snap and for the leaves uh, to, to rustle a little bit because I know my own heart enough to know that if I am not careful, man, I'm going to take a left to the jaw. When Christians are vigilant, we, we wage war against our sin, but notice um, how we do it. Notice how we do it. It says in verse 13, But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The Christian life is a life where we fight against sin, but the weapon that we use in warfare is the Holy Spirit. Weapons are dangerous, right? Weapons are dangerous. When you think of dangerous weapons, what do you think of around Christmas? You think of the... The Red Rider, B, Red Rider BB gun, right? If you give a kid one of those, they'll shoot their eye out. It's a dangerous weapon. Stay away. Well, there are some weapons that will save your life. Spirit saves your life. right? Because if you go to war without any weapons, right? if, if you think you're going to kick your sin habit, all on your own because you're determined or you're disciplined or you'll be better. It's a recipe for disaster. It's never going to last. You'll be okay for a few hours, maybe a few days. But good luck. 
We, we need a weapon to fight with. And this is, this is the gift that God has given to us that we need. He's given to us His Spirit. He says, go fight by the power of the Spirit. Like, if you're like me, I read that and I'm like, yes, the Spirit. I'm going to put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. And then I go, what does that mean? Like, what does that mean? Like, how do I, how do I fight with the Spirit? Because it just seems like me. I'm making decisions. I'm thinking thoughts. I'm doing stuff. And so what does it look like to, to put to death the deeds of the body by uh, the, the Spirit? Well, Scripture gives us some insight. Um, the, the, the Word of God, the Word of God, this Word uh, is referred to as the sword of the Spirit. So I think, at least in part, when we fight against sin, we, we fight against sin with the, with the sword of the Spirit. And the sword of the Spirit uh, is the Word of God. And so what, is that, what does that look like practically? And so I started thinking this week, like what are, what's a way that we can fight sin, that I can fight sin with the sword of the Spirit, with the Word of God? And so I just I thought of an example. I think about uh, the temptation... Um, especially in the Western world, but probably all over, like our propensity uh, to, to love uh, things and stuff and money. Right? We're, we're a consumeristic uh, land, right? especially this time of year. You think about all the things that, uh, that you want and that you'd like to have, and you see the commercials, and everyone's like, hey, like, buy this, buy this, buy this. And I think to myself, that seems appealing I mean, like money and, and resources, I go, I, there's times when I drive by the big sign on the highway that says like Powerball, you know, $18 trillion. And I start going, what would I do with $18 trillion? And I'm like, Lord, you know my heart, I would tithe. 10% joyful heart. I don't know how many billions that is, but I would give. And then I'm like, where? A place in the mountains? Place I... Like there's, there's this part of me where I'm going, that seems appealing to me, right? And, and I know like, I know there's a part of my heart that, that it seems so appealing to me that I think, you, you know what? Um, if, if I want to experience maximum joy in life, maximum joy is connected with, with financial stability and success. Right? The happiest people are the richest people. And so I, these are the thoughts that come to my mind, and I, I know in my heart I'm going, oh, Lord, you've got you to help me. And so he does. And so I come uh, to, to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, verse 10. And, and I read, for the, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Well, that's serious. I mean, you're telling me that, I mean, there's folks that have operated in such a way where, where the appeal of this overshadowed the appeal of Jesus so much so that they're like, I'm out. This looks a whole lot more appealing to me. I, I read that and I'm like, James, like, you be, like, be warned. 
Be warned, it says later, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good and to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. And so I go there and I'm like, Lord, this, <laughs> this looks appealing to me. It feels appealing to me. You've got to help me. And so he reminds me there are some people that walked away from the faith because of the love of money. And he reminds me those who are rich, and we're all rich. You know the statistics. We're all rich. So how am I supposed to operate? Well, I'm not supposed to be haughty. I'm not supposed to set my hopes on riches. Those, I mean, that comes and goes, right? It comes and goes. The market goes up, the market goes down, you, something happens, there's a medical expense, something at the house breaks down. I mean, financial situations, they just change in a heartbeat. And so I read that, and I'm like, yeah, that's uncertain. But then I'm, then I'm called to, to be generous, to be rich in, in good works, to, to share. And so I say, okay, God. And so there's this, this idea, this thing, like this, money equals happiness. And I, and I say, I want to fight against that because it's serious. It's not a joke. And so I go, you got to help me. And so God gives me his spirit and he gives me the sword of the spirit. And I, and I come to the word and I say, what does the word say? I say, okay, Lord, help me, to, help me to think this and to believe this and to feel this. That's how we fight sin. That's how we, we put on our gloves. We don't, we don't put this away and then try to figure it out. That doesn't work. Sometimes we handle the word like Barney Fife handles his bullet in the top pocket. I grew up on Andy Mayberry. You know, Andy and Barney, was, he was a mess, man. He was a hot mess. And they wouldn't give him a loaded gun, but they gave him a bullet, and he put the, the bullet in his top pocket in case he ever needed it. Like, he'd just pull, he'd lock, and he'd, he'd be a goner. I feel like sometimes we do that with a word. We just tuck it away somewhere. No, like, you got, I wake up in the morning, and I'm going like, God, I'm desperate. I had a professor in college that uh, said to the class one time, I always tell myself I am one poor decision away from losing everything. Now, you might look at that and go, well, that's a bit you know, out there. No, that's... And that's like a, a warlike mentality. That's going, God, I don't, you know my heart. Show up, God, like help me. I don't want to lose everything, so help me. So we, we fight, because the Christian life is a fight, but God's given us this gift. He's given us the Spirit. And so fight sin with the Spirit. The Spirit, this word is the sword of the Spirit. And so my question for you this morning is that is there a particular sin that by the spirit you need to declare war against today like is, is there something in your heart or in your life where you're going yeah man i i know that's there and i need god's help so god help me god god and his goodness oftentimes gives us what we need. He's given us a weapon for warfare. He's given us his spirit uh, for us uh, to fight sin. He also gives us gifts um, that we want. 
And we find a gift that we want in, in verse 14. It says, For all who have been led by the Spirit are sons of God. That's given us sonship. It says in verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, uh, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. And so if you have the Spirit, you are a son. Adoption for, for Paul uh, in that day and age, it was significant. It's certainly significant now too, but it was, it was huge uh, back then. Oftentimes, a, a wealthy individual that did not have an heir uh, would look for someone to adopt in order to carry out the family name. Right? And so that individual who was adopted meant that his old debts and legal obligations were paid. But it could be a child, it could be even an adult. If they, if they had debts, they were washed away. The father would take them on. Um, that individual would get a new name, and instantly he was an heir to all the father uh, had. Right? And so, I mean, it was huge. If you were adopted into the family, it was like, you're, you're my boy now. Everything that I have belongs to you. It's, it's all yours. And so we read here in Romans 8 that, that with this new standing before God, we have a new freedom. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery uh, to fall back into fear. So our relationship with our Heavenly Father isn't, isn't one where we're, we're always walking on eggshells, where we're afraid that God's going to zap us. We don't relate to him as an employee would relate to a boss and think to ourselves, boy, i got to perform. If I don't perform, uh, God's going to roll out. He doesn't operate that way. He doesn't relate that way to his kids. It's like, you're, you're my son, and that's never going to change. And so we haven't been given a, a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Uh, we also see that we've been given a new intimacy with God. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. My God, God the Father is our, is our daddy. Right? He is our daddy. You have to understand that for them, family name was everything. Like, like your, your, your name meant, meant the world. Right, because you were tied to, you were connected to your family name. Oftentimes, the way we live, we distance ourselves from our family. Right, oftentimes, the people that know us may not know our moms or our dads. Maybe they know their name, but they don't really know them. But, but for them, back in the first century, I mean, it was everything for them because their trajectory in life was connected uh, to the welfare of their father. Right? If, you, if you had an influential father, if you had a father whose people, uh, people recognized his name, I mean, it was a big deal. The flip side of that is true, though, too. If, if your daddy was kind of a, a, a nobody, people looked at you and were like, oh, yeah. That's why people looked at Jesus and, and they said of Jesus, isn't this Joseph's son? Like, I mean, Joseph. Joseph isn't a big deal. Right, so your connection to your father was huge. Well, here Paul is saying to the church, like, you, you have a new daddy. 
When in your relationship with him is an intimate one. That's what Abba Father means. Right? Like, like Daddy God. I don't know what your relationship with your dad was like. Maybe it was a, a strained relationship. Maybe your dad was present but wasn't present. Maybe your dad was on the road. Maybe you always felt like your dad uh, was, was mad at you or angry towards you. Maybe you look to your father and think to yourself, I do not want to be that kind of dad. Your, your relationship with him wasn't marked by intimacy, but the relationship that we have with God the Father is marked by intimacy. Like we can come to him and be like, Daddy, Daddy, it's me. Like it's me. We have that kind of relationship because of Jesus. And because we have that kind of intimacy, we have that kind of assurance It says in verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Think about that for a second. It's not just us who's going, yep, I'm in. It's us and the Spirit of God together going, hey, you belong to God. And that culture, in order for a testimony uh, to hold any weight, you, you needed the witness of two people. If you didn't have the witness of two people, if you were flying solo, good luck. You weren't going to get what you were asking for. Nobody would believe you. Right? But, but here Paul is saying you, you have the witness of the Spirit uh, and you going, yeah, I'm God's kid. And that gives us assurance And not only do we have assurance, but we are heirs. Verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You ever think about what it's like to to be the heir of a a significant uh, person? I I read... uh, an article a few months ago about Steve Jobs' uh, daughter. She, she wrote a book about her dad, and she really had a, a strange, uh, strained relationship with him. And he, for the longest time, he, he would not uh, support her financially. He didn't take care of her mom. He didn't even uh, admit that she was his daughter for the longest time. Right. Finally, as uh, a little later in life, he began to support her uh, financially, but he was quick to pull it away uh, when he was frustrated with her, when he was disappointed with her mom. And I remember thinking to myself as I read that story, but, but there's part of me that thinks, boy, if, you're like, if, you're, if your daddy was like Steve Jobs or Bill Gates or, or, or someone affluent or famous, like you think to yourself, think about all the benefits that would come to you because of your father. Just think of all the benefits that would come to you if you had an influential father. Guess what? Like you have an influential father. Like your daddy is the God of the universe. Your daddy is the God of the universe. And you... Uh, If you are a follower of Christ, you are an heir. You are an heir. So my question to you this morning is, is there a particular aspect of your adoption that God is calling you to give thanks for today? Is there a particular aspect of your adoption that God is calling you to give thanks for today? 
When, when you read those passages in Romans chapter 8, you think to yourself, God, I'm so uh, grateful that you've given to us assurance. God, I'm so grateful that uh, you have given to us uh, an, an intimate relationship with you, freedom to have a relationship with you. God, I'm so thankful for that. Maybe this morning God is calling you just simply to give thanks and go, God, thank you that you are my daddy. The last question that I wanted to ask you uh, this morning is that do you know uh, that God is your father? Do you know that God is your father? Do you have that kind of relationship with him? Uh, maybe you're here this morning and you would readily admit that you do not. You're interested in spiritual things. You've read spiritual stories. You've read stories in this book. But maybe you think to yourself, I don't know if I'm rightly related to the God of the universe. Well, scripture teaches us that in our brokenness and in our sin, uh, God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus, to come and walk among us. He lived a perfect life. He died and he rose again, defeating death and offering to you and me life. Scripture teaches us that by faith, when we trust in Jesus' finished work uh, for us, God calls us sons. We are uh, his kids. Uh, my prayer for you is that you might be rightly related uh, to the God of the universe today. Uh, sometimes in life, uh, you get uh, what you want. And sometimes in life, uh, you get what you need. Uh, and sometimes uh, you get both. And the God of the universe has given to you and has given to me both. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father God, I thank you so much for the good gifts that you have extended to us through uh, your Son Jesus and by your Spirit. Uh, thank you that you have given us your Spirit to, uh, to fight and to wage war against the sin in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that you uh, have called us uh, your sons, that you've called us your children, your kids. Lord, we give you thanks this morning. Uh, God, we love you. We thank you so much that you've loved us uh, first, that you've demonstrated your love for us and that while we were sinners, uh, Christ died for us. Lord, we give you thanks. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.